Hello, and welcome to another episode of Heroes in Our Midst. I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop, and again, what an honor to get to sit in my seat to collect these stories. Our guest today is Sarah Orleski. Yes, the Sarah Orleski, sports broadcaster for more than 20 years, having covered premier sporting events all over the world, including the Stanley Cup Finals, the World Juniors, and the Vancouver 2010 Olympic Winter Games, to name a few. Never mind, she's covered the sidelines for the last 13 Grey Cup broadcasts as well. Yes, that Sarah Orleski. She has changed her role once again, and as senior host and producer with the Winnipeg Jets content team, she will help us get to know the Winnipeg Jets players behind the scenes, much like we are doing with Sarah today. Like, who is she, really, from the inside out? Well, lucky for us all, she agreed to join us. So thank you, Sarah. Well, no problem. But I have to say that it makes me very nervous to answer questions. In fact, I've joked with players before, different athletes where I've said, is this how you feel when I ask questions? Because, oh my goodness, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> it's much easier to talk about other people than it is yourself. But today, you know what? I think this is such going to be such an easy format for you because we just want you to really tell us your story. But um uh, maybe before we get to that, uh, let's talk about where you're at right now. So right now you are all about the Jets. And not yes. that long ago, I had tears in my eyes watching you say goodbye to the Bombers. Oh, my goodness. You oh. had us all in tears. Um, and we're going to get to that in your in your journey. But um, so you've landed with the Jets. Like, are you so happy to be sort of settled in one spot or how is that looking for you? What What exactly are you doing with them and how is that feeling for you? Okay, so uh, uh, my official title is senior host and producer with the Jets. And in some ways, it's so similar to things that I was doing before because I've covered the Jets since day one when they returned and when I was hosting the Jets broadcasts on TSN. So I was always around the rink throughout the hockey season anyway. So in that respect, it hasn't it hasn't changed, but the employer has and some of the um, the angles of what we're trying to do have changed a little bit as well. But um, so right now we're doing, uh, in addition to just doing interviews and and features for the Jets, uh, I also do a post-game show that airs on their website, social media channels, and the Winnipeg Jets app, which is really great. So it still gives me that the adrenaline rush and of doing live programming um, just in a different format. So I've really, I've been looking, I've been really enjoying it so far. And I think it's just, it's the first step of what we're hoping to build there. And really my goal is to give Jets fans a better understanding and glimpse of the players and those in the organization off the ice, because so many people obviously analyze what they do on the ice and from, and the game element of it. But you know, those guys are all just people too. And I think so many of them have interesting stories that we haven't necessarily heard yet uh, and had the opportunity to. So that's what I'm hoping to be able to do so that people see them not just as players, but as people as well. You know, and I love that because I think when we watch them, like you say, we have sort of these standards and if they're not meeting them, we're like, ah, get rid of them. And I think, I think we really will get a, a a closer relationship even with them ourselves uh, in the storytelling. And and you must find that as you talk to athletes, like this life, it looks so glamorous and all the children in Canada all want to be, be yeah. them, but do they really want to be them? Well, and that's the thing is that I don't think that, I think especially as 
years have gone on. I mean, so I've been doing this now, I mean, in sports broadcasting capacity for 22 years, coming up on 22 years. And what uh, I've seen is that the way that people not only consume their sports, but just the evolution of fandom has really changed as well. And I think that as, you know, as salaries have gone up, so we'll take the NHL or, you know, some of those big, the big pro leagues as they have continued to go up. I think that there has been this change in sometimes the way that people view them because now you're looking at them and they're multimillionaires. And so many of them, I mean, they're in the case of hockey, they're young men that are making millions of dollars. But at the heart of it, again, they're just people. So if you have kids, my favorite thing is those that have kids to talk about what's going on with their kids, because it's, it doesn't matter how much money you have. We all have the same sort of, you know, you have the same sort of issues or concerns or funny stories with your kids as well. And I think that sometimes what I'm, the comment that I'll make with people is that money, it can change obviously um, elements of your life, but so many fundamentally, if you're having a bad day, if you're having struggles at work, that doesn't matter whether you're making seven figures or you're making five, or it just, that there are certain basic things that sometimes, I, again, I think that it's easy to overlook because we just see them in this capacity of just being hockey players or, oh, what could be so wrong? They're making millions of dollars playing a game. Well, there's a lot of stress that goes along with that as well. And and everybody has challenges. And I think that sometimes yeah. we forget that. And it's something that I've always tried to be very cognizant of when speaking with athletes that we don't know what's going on so often in their private lives. And, you know, everybody can have bad days just like the rest of us. And they're not, they're not really allowed to have as many bad days as us because their private lives are on display for all of us to see a lot of the time, isn't it? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, being in the public eye and is, it's a different dynamic for it as well. And there's a different pressure that goes along with it. And I'm not minimized. I mean, they're very well compensated for it. And yes, I understand that, but there's certainly there is, it's just, it's different for it. And on a much smaller scale, I mean, I'd say that living in Winnipeg, I mean, for me, you know, walk around and and so many people recognize me and be just because of the roles that I've had. Um, and it's, it's different. It feels different when you're standing there and you can hear, you can see people staring at you or you can hear people whispering about you. And I was standing boarding a flight the other day and actually there was a couple behind me, an older couple. And she goes, I think that's Sarah Orleski. And I could hear her whispering and I just kept about business because I'm not about to, I'm not going to turn around and say, oh yes, actually it's me. And then she went to the people in front of me and said, I think that's Sarah Orleski behind you. And I, I wanted to say, I can hear you, you know, <laughs> like I said, I just, I try to be, um, I try to be aware of these people or you know, it being in your, for a lot of these athletes, they're in their mid twenties, early twenties, and it can't be always easy to have the spotlight on you, especially in the world of social media and everything that we have now, where so many people are able to sometimes or feel comfortable saying things that we would never say to someone's face. 
So in your time um, working with the Jets, working mm-hmm. with the Bombers, even when in that farewell, when you said sort of goodbye to your Bombers, I mean, you really had this relationship with so many of the players and there's, there's, they must, they obviously feel it and they obviously appreciate it because we can feel it when you're speaking to the people that you're interviewing that, you know, don't just tell me how many passes you made, how many completions and how many fumbles. Tell me how you really felt about the game. And and those types of questions get asked a lot, but um, it always seems like you put some purpose behind that and really care what they're thinking, what they're feeling when they actually play the game. Yeah, absolutely. And for so many of them, I mean, for the CFL, I'd covered it for so long that I joke that I think that all of the coaches in the league, other than Bombers defensive coordinator, Richie Hall, but pretty much every other coach in the league that played in the league, I covered in some capacity at some point. So you just, you've, you've also seen, not only have I grown up covering the league, but you've seen them grow up as well, right? Whether it be players from when they first walked in and, and you've seen how they've grown or you've seen them with all of their different ups and downs and through different teams, but it's been the same with coaches that so many of them I covered, as I said, as players. And so you've, I used to say one coach in particular, Dave Dickinson, um, current head coach and GM at the Calgary Stampeders that when, I mean, I covered him as a player. And so when he said the tears that he would shed as a, as a player, when he lost the gray cup, I was there for that room. And then I covered it as a coach with his ups and downs. And when he, and he came out after one of their losses in a gray cup and he goes, well, Sarah, here we are again. Yes, Dave, here we are. And you just, your heart breaks. There's something about, you know, I I can't even, even being around them, I can't fully appreciate everything that goes into it. I mean, just the, not just the blood, sweat and tears, but just the hours and, and to be that, to have everything come down to that one game and then for it to be lost. And especially from a football capacity, I mean, you don't have the guaranteed contracts. You don't know if you'll be back next year. So it's a different type of pressure. And to just to see that disappointment on people, that it goes back to that viewing them as people, not just as athletes and being able to go, that's just got to be crushing and devastating. So I know how disappointed I get when, you know, I coach my daughter's uh, school basketball team and I know how disappointed I can get when we lose and it's grade seven and eight, you know, basketball. So I can only imagine what, what these, what these people, uh, what these men are going through and yeah, it just, it hits differently. So I just feel as if and what I hope I'd always shown was just um, an appreciation for what they did, a compassion for what they did, but also wasn't afraid to point it. I mean, wasn't afraid to ask the questions if, if they weren't living up to expectations, because there are expectations that go along with all of our jobs. But I think there's a, there's always, I said, I believe there's always a way to ask it that is, that is still being respectful and sensitive to the situation. Yeah. Now, before we get to the the story and how this all came to be, I want to ask a little bit about about your you being a female. I know you you know you just being in the spotlight has given you a voice to be an inspiration to young women and to to be in a man's world a lot of the time. I mean, most of these coaches are men. Let's be honest, and and a lot of the pro- professional athletes are men, and it's a, it's a it's a men's world, and and I love watching all of it. And are there more women like you? Do you find as you've been in this now for two decades plus, what has the change been in that 
idea, that kind of ratio and you having colleagues that are female or male, what does that look like for you in your career? Well, there's certainly, there's more women now um, than there were before, but still I find that so many of the women are deemed to be more from a sports broadcasting perspective, more traditional roles, sports anchor on the desk sort of thing. Um, I'd still love to see more out in the field with the way that things have continued to change though in the industry. I mean, positions are becoming fewer and fewer um, in terms of linear television and kind of the traditional casting, but we've seen women that have made so many strides. Like I look at basketball with Doris Burke and, and not just doing sidelines for it, but calling games. And, and I think that there's a lot more encouragement for it now than what it was. i when I first got in, I mean, the reason I got my opportunity was because my news director at the time um, for a local station in Vancouver basically said, well, you you want to get this, you want to do this? Okay, give this a shot. She says, you know, everyone's hiring women right now. So it's kind of the in thing to do. So it's, I like to say, I recognize that's what got my foot in the door with it, but then it was up to me to be able to take it and run with it and continue on. But you're seeing, you are seeing more women. I think that one thing that I've said along is for all of the stories, and there are so many, and I, I can't imagine what so many women had to go through that still go through in trying to get the respect and some of the issues that they deal with in dressing rooms or when dealing with men. I have been so fortunate in my career. I had tremendous colleagues in when I started in Vancouver that really almost took me under their wing, both in print journalism, um, on television. The athletes were great to me, coaches, and they just, they seemed to they just seemed to embrace me. Like I just kind of had that as if I was the baby sister that everyone took under their wings and helped. But I also, I think they all looked at how seriously I was taking it, that it, this was very much for me from the time I was young, this was what I wanted to do. And so I was putting in the time and I was putting in the work and I was never afraid to go to coaches and say, could you explain this to me, please? Like I've looked at, I mean, Internet wasn't quite what it is now when, when I first started, but, but I would say even up until, you know, even a couple seasons ago, I mean, I was going to coaches and I'd say, I've looked this up. You, you referenced this. I don't understand what you're meaning by this defense. Can you explain it to me? I've tried finding it. I can't. And coaches were always great about basically going to the whiteboard and saying, okay, so, you know, if it was football, okay, well, our gaps here and here, this guy goes up here and that, and same thing with hockey. So I just, I found, I've always tried to make it clear that if I'm asking a question for it, I'm not trying to present myself as someone that knows it all. I'm looking for, I'm legitimately looking for help, help me take that next step. I would like to understand this better. Can you help me with it? And people have been wonderful with it. That's amazing. So we've talked about the Jets and the Bombers. I mean, you've done the Olympic Games. You've mm -hmm. done uh, World Juniors. Uh, oh, my goodness. Like Stanley Cup Finals. So many great cups. You've done the top stuff. And a lot of people are going to say, how did she do this? How did she get there? Young women who look at you and go, I want to do that someday. Where, where did this start for you? And why sports? Were you always an athlete playing sports? Or how did that bend happen for you? And, and where did you begin? 
So um, I did always play sports growing up. If I could have my way, I think still, I would probably just live in a gym somewhere. So I was always the one that had her hair in a ponytail and ready to go that if a game broke out in some capacity, you wanted to be ready to go with it. And the end, uh, I watched sports a lot growing up with my dad. Um, I joke that I was about the son that he didn't have. And so we would watch a ton of football and, and hockey, but it was, it was really with football uh, in the beginning that I would watch and I'm like, oh, well, that's really neat what these people get to do. And look, they get to be down at the sidelines. They get to be where all the action is. So my uh, dream from a young age was to be um, involved with sports in that capacity for it. I didn't want to be in the studio reading highlights. In fact, when I got hired at TSN, I said, if that's what you're wanting me to do, I have no interest in coming on board. That's, I want to be where the action is. So um, I went to school out in Vancouver. And while I was going through school, I volunteered with the sports department at Simon Fraser University. And, uh, and I said to them, basically, I will do anything. I'll write press releases. I'll write game recaps. I just, um, because I didn't know anyone in the industry, and this is very much an industry that it helps to know people to be able to get your foot in the door, said, I don't know anyone out here. If any media come up to cover the team, can you just introduce me to them? Just so that, and, and so that was, deal was, and I had I had great mentors there too. Um, the women's basketball coach at Simon Fraser, Bruce Langford, a longtime coach, was one that I leaned on so much. And just, again, he he helped mentor me and was just a great resource for me and a great supporter of mine to this day. And so from there, um, I started working. I got an opportunity to work as a sports producer at City TV in Vancouver, producing the weekend sports, which at the time were about 12 minutes in length, which you never see a sports department have any sort of uh, time like that anymore, which is unfortunate. But at the time we did, which was great. And then the opportunity came up for me to be able to move in front of the camera. And so I did that while I was finishing my degree and just continued to Basically, I would work weekends, but then at the time I would also almost volunteer myself to go and cover Canucks games because at the time, so the station would only send a cameraman to go grab post-game sound. And I said, well, what if I go? I said, well, we can't, we can't pay you to do it. And I said, that's fine. That's fine. I just, again, I just want the experience. I just want to meet people. I want to learn about what's going on. So I went to just a slew of of games and, and held the microphone and kind of figured out what the dynamics were of how things worked in the dressing room in terms of, you know, post-game interviews, everything like that, and got really comfortable with it. From there, I got the opportunity to work at The Score in Vancouver as their bureau reporter, which was tremendous because it gave me the freedom and the, the opportunity to do things I never would have otherwise, just in terms of long form features, you just, the score, I mean, a lot of people might not remember it now, but it was a 24 hour sports network as well. And you didn't have the time constraints that you did on a TSN or a sports net in terms. So if you, because we had a wheel that just went through. So if your story, if you had a great feature and you wanted to go five minutes for it, you could, you weren't beholden to the same sort of uh, time constraints that you are otherwise. And so 
it was great. And I was able to cover world juniors and Stanley cup finals and, and do a whole bunch there. And then TSN, um, eventually came calling in 2007 and moved to Toronto largely. I mean, the reason I went on board was to be the Friday night, um, sideline reporter for Friday night football. So I did that and covered a whole slew of sports from the Leafs to, you know, we had playoffs or TSN had national playoffs, the national rights at the time. So we did playoff series. So I did that. And then in 2011, the time my daughter was a year and a half, my husband, who's from Winnipeg as well, we wanted to move back and raise our own family if given the opportunity. So when it became clear that the NHL was going to return to Winnipeg, I said, you have to move me. <laughs> got to let me leave Toronto. I've got to move back to Winnipeg. And, and so I came back and thankfully TSN got the rights and uh, to the Jets broadcast. And so it just, it created this perfect situation where I, I was able to cover a team from the beginning in my hometown in a capacity that most people would never have the opportunity to, and then continue on with um, CFL coverage as well, both Bombers and then across really uh, the West Division as well. So in light of the human behind the story that is Sarah Orleski. My yeah. first thought is, and maybe as a woman, I don't know, but my one of my first thoughts is the dudes listening are going, when did the guy marry her? And the women are going, <laughs> was she ever home? And how did he put up with that? And was he okay with her being so busy and being, because th there's all these dynamics in, in what I'm going to call real life that you must have yeah. had to deal with this crazy balance. And yet you were so driven and so willing to do anything, you know, anything to sort of be able to be who you wanted to be kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I always say that, so um, that old saying of it takes a village um, really applies with my life. It takes a village. Um, so we've been, you know, it's been amazing to have the support that I've had. And so my parents have played a huge role in being able to, for me to be able to do the things that I've done and, and my in-laws as well, just been able to help out and have been willing to help out, which has been so great. Um, so starting back beginning. So, um, I was back on the road two months after my daughter was born for football. And that was, I mean, it was, I would like to think that people wouldn't feel the same sort of pressure now in it, but it was just, it was 2009. I was very concerned about um, losing, not my job, but just my opportunities. So specifically with football, um, you know, really being kind of the, in many ways, the lead sideline reporter and I, and not wanting to lose great cups or anything like that and my footing on it. So I felt a lot of pressure from within to go back and do that. So I did that. And then I had the Vancouver Olympics six months later. So my whole thing, and I, I just, I need to, I was um, breastfeeding my daughter and I was like, I'm going to, I got to get to the six month mark. <laughs> got to get to the six month mark. And then I left for almost a month and to go cover it. And so husband was uh, home with our daughter and it was tremendous about it. And obviously I couldn't do what I would do if I, if I didn't have the support of, of him to be able to juggle and, and make things work really. So it's something that I have dealt with in terms of, I don't know, I go through bouts of guilt. Sure. <laughs> you know, I make a 
people know, and I talk about my daughter um, incessantly to people. So I think everyone feels as if they know my, my daughter, but the, <laughs> I'm so proud of her, but I also, when I'm not working said, I'm, I'm with her. So whether it be, you know, at the time it was always going and watching when she was, if she was dancing or if she had swimming, I'd sit and I'd watch practice and, and everything. And now that she's a little bit older, it's about making sure that I don't miss games of hers or that I'm, I'm home as much as possible. So even though she's much more independent now, <laughs> I still try to, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm home as much. Cause they always said that no one will remember what I did in terms of career, that my, my primary responsibility is to raise a, a good human. That's, that's going to go out there and <laughs> and and you know make a difference or do something great uh their life so I mean, so that's there was um yeah that I was just I spent a lot of time uh doing that and then as I said it really it takes a village in order to in order to be able to and had to understand that it was okay to ask right. for that help and one of the things actually I was speaking with Jennifer Jones the other day and at an event and we were talking about it and I was asking her about balance because she, you know, she was talking about just her hectic schedule. She had just finished at the Scotties and she said, Oh, she had, her girls had dance, uh, gymnastics competitions and this, and she's running from one place to another. So she and I were going that, you know, that familiar bond that I think that parents share and that moms in particular do. And, and I asked her about balance and, you know, cause everyone, I feel like that's such a, you know, a word that everyone keys in on work-life balance. And how do you do this? And she said that she hates the word balance <laughs> and that she tries to find harmony. And I thought, you know, because she said the balance, she doesn't believe that you can necessarily achieve it. And so you set yourself up for failure with that sort of idea. Whereas if you can find a way to have the different parts be in harmony with each other. And I thought that's a really great way to look. I really liked that. It really, for whatever reason, it struck a chord with me because I used to say that, you know, you, you try to find, try to find balance, or I try to um, multitask with this and that. My husband would always say to me, you're not nearly as good at multitasking as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, no, no, it's fine. He goes, but I, yeah. So it's been more over the years about trying to find uh, a way for the two sides to, to kind of be harmonious with each other. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's really important. I love the, that little bit of difference that that makes. Cause if we continue to find balance, I think we will give up more things instead of trying to maybe take a bit of a harder road and say, no, I still want to do this. And how can I do yeah. this with the team that is around me, which is perhaps your parents, your husband, whoever that is, and your, and your yeah. children. And, and really for sure, as time has gone on, more women are trying to do more things instead of just Absolutely. saying, well, I have children, I can't, or well, you know, I I'm in this role, so I just can't do that. Even though they may live their whole life regretting the fact Fact, and perhaps not contributing where they could have, you know, made such a big difference. And was there ever a time though, like, you know, parents are often, you know, so wise or they, you know, they're concerned mm -hmm. for their children or, you know, where maybe a, a parent figure in your life, you had this baby and now you wanted to still pursue this. Did they ever say, you know, are you sure you should be doing this? 
No, in fact, the support from my parents has just been tremendous the the whole time. I grew up with, I mean, both that just instilled this sense of confidence um, and belief within self. I used to always joke that, and I would do it in a mocking way, which comes back full circle now that I have a teenager. But I, my mom was really big on, you go girl. And I'd go, oh, that's so cheesy, mom, you go girl. But but she she and my dad very much instilled that idea of, that you could do whatever you wanted to do. And so when I decided at a very young age that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster and this is what I wanted to do, and I remember when my mom saying, okay, but, you know, so what if it, you know, not many people get to do this for it, which is, which is true. I mean, there's, I don't think I realized at the time just how few <laughs> opportunities there, there are. And she said, so, you know, what if, what if you don't get to, I don't know, cover the NFL or what if you don't get to do this and this, yeah, but someone's got to do it. Right. I mean, they're hiring someone to do it. So why not me? I don't. And so that was um, it, but they just, they instilled, yeah, that, that belief in me from, from a young age that if you put your mind to it, they were always about my mom might be, you know, one of the hardest workers I've ever seen just across the board. And it was just, you put in the, and yet you might not always get, that doesn't always necessarily mean that you're going to have success with what you do, regardless of how much work you put into it. But no, if, if you want to do that, you pursue your dreams. And even now, you know, in recent times, so last summer, I was, I mean, I was covering pretty much four teams um, for the CFL. So I was on the road all the time. And if I had to have, uh, have struggles with it, sometimes they're trying to make things work and my parents, nope, we'll just make this work. Okay. No, nope. you're, you know, my daughter could go over to their place and stay over. They would come over. And, and even now, I mean, they're just, they're so helpful with it. So no, they have just been, I can't say enough good things about, um, yeah, not only what they instilled um, in us at a young age, but then just throughout the years, as I said, just continued to provide the support. Yeah, really never questioned you, just wanted you to follow your dreams. And, you know, it's interesting to me, one thing that struck me is how specific you were in the kind of broadcasting you wanted to do. Now, mm. you touched on the fact that you were, you really wanted to get back to broadcasting when your daughter was super young, because you did have some of those feelings like, you know, on yourself, the pressure you put yeah. on yourself. If I don't do this, I might lose this opportunity. Now, were you ever afraid to say, I, I don't want to sit at a desk and do this. I want to be on the field. Did that take some nerve to do that? Or did you see that they that's what they needed anyway? But I like to say that when I was younger, I was much more bold than I am now. <laughs> There's something to be said for the naive nature of when you walk in and the bold confidence <laughs> of being in, say, your early or mid 20s sometimes, because you just don't know better. And, you know, we, I always joke about that sometimes and we reference it often, I think, with sports, right? Sometimes you put in pressure situation and you go, well, this person doesn't have experience. Yeah, but, you know, it might actually be beneficial because they don't actually know what's coming up in front of them. So they can just go in and play maybe a little bit more freely as opposed to somebody that has been through the trials and tribulations. So sometimes there can be a plus to it. And so one story just that I often um, refer back to with just being kind of brave and knowing what I wanted to do and just needing to be there. So 
when I lived in Vancouver, when I was with the score, I often would go down and at the time, um, the Sonics were still, they hadn't moved to Oakland yet. So the NBA was still in Seattle. And so I'd go down and I'd cover often sports in, um, in Seattle as well when they would come through. So I remember being down there and the San Antonio Spurs were coming through and for whatever the story was, which I can't remember, I, I needed Tim Duncan for the story. And I had no idea about how not covering the NBA regularly and I'm just trying to observe to figure out, okay, how do you go talk to the players? What's the protocol for this? Because every league has very specific protocol in terms of windows in which you can speak to players, whether you have to request the players, do you just walk up to them, different things. And so uh, I remember seeing him walk off the court uh, for the morning shoot around. And I thought, oh, I'm going to lose my chance to talk to him. This is, I mean, I have to get him. And so I remember um, yelling across the court for him, Tim, Tim, and this, you know, crazy, um, this mad woman that was just like, Tim, notice me, notice me. And so I went running after him and caught up to him beside the team bus. And he's, and I said, Tim, you know, could I just grab you for a couple? I just have a couple of questions. He goes, Oh, I, and he was known for being, I mean, such a nice, nice man and, and so polite, but he goes, Oh, you know, I don't speak in the morning because the, in the NBA, they, they would have morning availability at shoot around, but then they also open up the dressing room, whether it be like an hour and a half before game time. And that's sometimes where the players speak. And he goes, that's when I talk. And I just remember looking, I'm going, Tim, no, but Tim, I really need to talk to you now. And he was like, well, I don't, Tim, Tim. I mean, I just too quiet. I just really need this because I, I had to file the story before with the time change because everything goes by Eastern time zones. I had to file because it, it, you know what it would have been? It would have been a game preview. I had to get it in before this availability, this is evening availability. And so he answered my questions side and then he, he left and went in and other media came up and they said, how did you get him? And I said, I don't know. I just asked. And my cameraman at the time goes, you did not just ask. He says, you sounded like his mother. You just had such tone in there. I mean, Tim, Tim, I mean, just, I mean, two minutes, that's all I need you for, which now I think to myself, I would never, I would, now I would just probably with all of them, I'd say, okay, no problem. Understand at the time though, I was so blind to it and just knew that this is what I needed to have happen. And so sure enough is, you know, <laughs> it worked out, it worked out well. And now I've gone off on a tangent. I don't remember what your, what your full question was with it, but it was just, it was one of those I oh about being on the on the desk. I did make it clear early on that that just wasn't what went to. I just I don't I don't enjoy reading highlights. It's just not it's just not thing. I much say I much prefer there is an energy as you can appreciate being at the event that just doesn't exist if you're in a desk and or if you're at a desk and you're in a studio and. And I just, that you know, as my careers progressed, I still wouldn't ever want to do highlights because that's not my thing, but I do like doing work with panels and with analysts because I like having the conversation aspect of it. Right. So it, it's different as opposed to just recounting what happened in the game in terms of the highlight packs. So, but I made it very clear and I was very happy with, before I moved to TSN, I was very happy living in Vancouver and 
with, even though I was a one person bureau out there, the people that I worked alongside were fantastic. And so it was a lot of fun to go to the rink or to go to the stadium. And so I was just, I was happy for it. So I said, that was my thing. If you want to put me onto the desk and, um, and do that, there's so many, I have such respect for the anchors that do that job and that do it well. It's the same thing with play-by-play people. You say, Oh, do you ever want to do play-by-play? It is so incredibly hard to do play-by-play. It is easy to sit at home and think, Oh, I could do that without appreciating just how challenging it is. And I have such respect for the people that do different roles in the industry that I would never, unless I was truly passionate about it and wanting to put in all of the work and all of the time for it, I would never um, do it otherwise because I just think it would be insulting to those that do it so well. <laughs> hey, let's let's stay on that work idea. What what is your what is your day to day look like? Maybe even before right now, like when you were more, you know, following all these games. What what does that actually look like? Like we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, people think lots of people think they want to be on TV and be doing what you're doing, but what does the work day look like for you? Let's say on game day, you have a game day coming up and you have to be in the know and be asking the right questions and all that stuff. When does that sort of game day start for you or how does that look? Well, first, every time someone says that, you know, oh, they, because there is, there's the perception that TV is, is glamorous and everything. And every time I would be hopping on one foot in a bathroom stall in an airport trying to change, I'm like, yes, this is what I wish people could see right now. Just how glamorous my life is, is I'm trying to get out of four layers of, you know, long johns and hoodies before I get onto a plane so that I don't sweat for two hours flying home. Um, (laughs) But game days were and are still very long. So I have an idea from a TSN perspective, um, when I was doing Jets, Ames, you would, I would uh, be at the rink. So if it was a seven o'clock game, I'd be at the rink for the 1030 morning skate, um, watch morning skate, do the interviews afterwards. I'd file for whatever shows I needed to file for, for TSN. And then I would stay at the rink all day. Um, I'd go and I'd grab a coffee and I'd set up shop because um, I had so much prep to do because it, for 445, you would start an interview with coach that we would pre-tape and then you'd get right into doing things for the pre-game show. So um, it would take you right through to the end of, of the broadcast. So my days would really be from arriving between 10 and 1030. Um, and I wouldn't get home until basically 1030, um, 11 o'clock night. And then with football, um, football is always um, a two day experience because the day before we would sit down with players. So I would have typically three players plus a coach, two or three players plus a coach come in for interviews um, from both teams. So doing roughly six interviews um, and then file anything that needed to be done again for, for TSN and then do prep because with football, uh, because it was sidelines, I'd go in with several kind of marquee storylines or things that I thought we'd want to talk about, but you always had to over-prepare because you might, the story that you have in mind might not be relevant for it. It might've been going in. You might think, oh, player X is coming off of a huge game. So we'll talk about him. But if he doesn't factor into the current game, then you're just, man, that's not really, it's not really as relevant. So you'd over-prepare because I always, I'm a big believer in over-preparing for everything uh, because you never know 
when you might need that tidbit. And whether it happens that particular game, or it could be a couple of games later, and you're able to refer back to it. And I read um, Peter Mansbridge's in his book, he was talking about the preparation aspect. And for one of his first events, and he had all these notes, and then the wind came and swept them all away. And he was left doing and it was some I mean, we're talking about some marquee event, the <laughs> Queen's Jubilee or something. Like it was just, it was this huge event. And he had to rely on his preparation without his notes in front of him. And I thought that's exactly true because if you, if something happens to your notes or a storyline comes up or something, if you're not prepared, not only can you not add anything to it, I just think that it adds to the stress and the anxiety of it because you don't have all of that kind of knowledge. And the other thing that people don't always appreciate is that when you're doing sidelines or you're not at it and you're not at a desk or you're not in a booth, you don't have notes often in front of you that you can reference the same way. And so like, I'd be down on the sidelines for football and I'm on different apps or I'm not trying to find different um, information out because you, it's not as easy as just opening up your laptop or your laptop and being able to find it or, um, or you can't find it. So it just changes. You're just kind of, you're much more on an Island is what I find. So that's where the preparation really comes in as well. And it's sort of nonstop, isn't it, in your life? I mean, if, if de decades, to, you know, 20 plus years of this, you must be just always thinking and always preparing. And and is it sort of just part of your psyche? Well, I, yeah, I find it. Actually, my husband used to always say, you know, if we'd go away, he'd say, okay, but you can't watch the game. We're like, we're on vacation. Don't watch the game. Don't. And I said, but you don't understand because if I don't, I mean, not only am I interested in it, but if I don't, that's so much work I have to catch up on everything because it's not, obviously, I mean, it's not a Monday to Friday job. And so if sports happen on weekends. And so if you're not around, then you come back. But guess what? They also happen Monday through Friday. And so now if all of a sudden you're five games back and I would keep, used to keep really detailed notes of all the line combinations, um, you know, all this. So for hockey, all the line combinations, all the special teams info, um, who scored. And I had, I'm really old school. So I really like to write everything out. I have, I'm the queen of the notebooks. I still like my day book. I don't like putting it in my phone. I like having a physical day book. I have, I, I'm constantly purchasing notebooks. And so I like writing everything out. It's the only way that I can remember things and I have an awful memory. So it's the only thing that can somewhat help me. So if I'm not keeping up with it, is it then all of a sudden you go, okay, well now I have, now I have six games that I have to go back or, you know, three games that I have to go back and do all of these things. And you just feel as if, but that feeling of constantly trying to play catch up, I just, it, it was more exhausting and it would create more stress. I said, it's easier for me to just do this while we're away and give me the half an hour to get snow done because it will alleviate some of the stress that I'm feeling because otherwise I'm not going to have as good of a time because I'm just going to be panicked over the fact that I've got so much to do when I get back. <laughs> Which again, we go back to why balance is not a word that I want. I can just find it to be in harmony. <laughs> just harmonize. And when you just find a person to harmonize with, it that's works. right. 
right? That's right. Yeah. And I feel like that's ringing true. And it rings true with a lot of successful people. They have found those who will come alongside them and be okay with what you need. And they get what they need and it, it, it works together. Are there ever days where, and I know there are days where like you just, you just mentioned even on a holiday, Oh, it's just easier if I do this. It's constantly on your mind. Is there, are there ever days when you go, where you go, I think I'm done with this. I think this is too constant for me. Or are you still just in love with the game? Well, I'm in love with the game and I'm a workaholic. I mean, I fully admit so. And when people would talk to me um, about how you try to, you know, be a, be a mom, do your personal life along with having, I always say, I fully recognize I am not a great example. I should not be giving advice. I should not anything because I am a workaholic. And I'm one of those ones where it just, it has, if it has to get done, it has to get done. And I would, sometimes I will put more on my plate than I should, because I feel it's just easier if I do it myself because then I know it's getting done the way that I want it to get done. And I'm not having to either, you know, fix it or go over it or, or anything later. So, um, yeah, but there are times where I just kind of hit that point where I, and it's usually one where I just want to, um, I don't know, sit down and read a book, watch a movie, just veg and just like, turn it off. I don't want to go out and do all the things that have to get done. I don't want to do groceries. I don't want to do anything. I just want to go and, you know, probably watch a movie that I've already watched a hundred times just because I can just turn my brain off and just online peruse, go down rabbit holes online and just waste, waste too much time. And then inevitably I'll look at the end and I'll think, oh, this was such a, you know, this was a day that I could have done so much and I've done nothing. I have been in, I don't know, sweats and a hoodie and, you know, I'm just living like a hermit in the basement, but it's just, sometimes you just, I don't know, you just need it. And I just need the, I find sleep is a big one for me that I just don't, as I'm sure so many people feel the same way that it's just, there's so much stuff going on. And I once, when I was a child, I think had a doctor tell my mother that some people just need 10 hours of sleep and I might be one of those people. I have clung to that for, I don't know, probably 35 years of going, it's not my fault. You know, once a doctor said I might need 10 hours of sleep. And so I want, I, and I, you know, I have to wake up early every morning, get my daughter ready and, and get everything going with like, as long as being a parent and getting it and then getting off and getting, you know, just getting ourselves ready and getting school. So I just feel sometimes I just, Oh, I just want to sleep. <laughs> I just, I just want to, I don't know, not put makeup on. Cause I often feel as if, especially just with given the career choice, you know, makeup's part of it. And I, I think that sometimes people run into me out in the city and do that. Oh, I thought it was you. And I go, yeah, and that's just, the face just doesn't look the same, does it? <laughs> I just don't want to, I just want my hair in a bun and I just want to be really casual and just, I just, I, cause I find that I will go until I hit that point where I just, yeah, where I'm just, as opposed to being in harmony and recognizing earlier on that I need to, right. I'll just go until I break. And my husband used to always 
for so for playoffs um when tsn used to have the nhl rights and we would do the first few rounds of playoffs i would be in often for the first round at least i'd be in a different city often every other day and we'd have a game that night because we'd be covering off two series so you'd fly in the morning of and you would do the game and then you'd go back to the hotel, catch a couple of hours of sleep, and then be back on a plane to go to a different series. And, and I would come home every single time um, when playoffs were done and I'd get sick. It was like clockwork. I mean, you could just, without fail, that it would just, because I wouldn't be eating properly, I wouldn't be sleeping. And again, as I mentioned, I need 10 hours of sleep. But yeah, I would come home and I would get sick from it. And it would just, my body would just kind of give out. And so I've tried to recognize a little bit more now that when, you know, when I'm getting to that point of sometimes just going, no, I just need to go, I need to do nothing. And I want to do nothing by myself. You know, and I think it's important in life. Sounds like you have found some ways to find your own harmony and that you just go hard until you need to stop. And and honestly, I actually think that works for some people. I'd like to talk a little bit before we get to our rapid fire questions. I want to talk to you about the career that you've chosen um, uh, and the pressure that comes with it. You you touched on the whole makeup thing and how it's important yeah. how you look. Do you constantly feel pressure on your outward, even outward appearance and all of that? And because otherwise we just won't watch you. Yeah. Well, I think and I think that although there's pressure on men, I mean, the pressure and that's beyond just this industry. I mean, the pressure on women is, I mean, it's unbelievable, I think. And I don't think that social media has helped in any capacity with that. I think that it's just made things more challenging, but from an industry standpoint, for sure. I mean, there's always been um, the pressure. I mean, when I was pregnant, I couldn't wait until I actually, until it was very obvious that I was pregnant because I didn't want people to just think that I had just, you know, been indulging in a lot of hamburgers or something like that. And just, so once I really looked pregnant and around then I'm like, okay, everyone knows that I'm pregnant. It's not, but I, I still feel, uh, I mean, to this day for sure, especially now, I mean, I'm in my forties and feeling that pressure of everyone. So many people are really young now, or so many people are and no judgment, but the, like to get, you know, assistance and Botox and, or whatever in order to good. And I've tried to, I have tried to embrace it a little bit more. I still feel pressure to be a certain size or look a, a certain way for sure. I do feel as if as I'm getting older, I'm a little bit more willing to go out and just look like a, a little bit of a disaster with my hair everywhere and just go, I don't care. Just wearing sweats out. It doesn't matter to me. But I do feel, because I think that the people have an expectation of women in particular, but in terms of laugh lines and, and wrinkles, I've tried to embrace those of, I'm proud of the fact that I'm in my forties. That's why even in this industry, a lot of people don't talk about their age and go through and I go, no, I'm turning 43 somewhere. I take a lot of pride in the fact that to last in this industry as long as I have and to build the career um, that I have, I'm not trying to be 25 years old. I mean, I'm mom, every one of these stress lines <laughs> in my face have been like, they have been earned <laughs> and laugh lines too, right? Like I just, I think that I love to see that we are, um, I think as much as there is an emphasis on 
being young and looking a certain way, I do also think that we are starting to see a lot of women embrace it. I don't want to, again, I don't want to be 25 anymore. Thank you. Being there, done that for Mm -hmm. it. I like that what goes along with being in my forties and at this point in my life and the different experiences I have and, and what it's going to look like going forward. But I think it's exciting, all of the opportunities that are there. And we're so much wiser, obviously, now than we were back then. And I think we need to lean into that and embrace that for it more so than um, than shy away from it. But I love the sentiment where the laugh lines, the frown lines, I mean, that makes you real. It makes you real to us. And that's one of your goals is to tell the real stories of our Winnipeg Jets. And if you aren't real, how can they be real? And to really have that genuine interaction, I think, is is so cool. I have another question, not just on appearance, but on your job in general as well, and maybe more as a woman. I don't know. You are talking about sports. There are many rabid sports fans. There are (laughs) people who sit on the couch and they know who got traded to who in 1973. And and obviously with social media and all those things, there isn't always all positive, right? There's like, oh, that's Sarah Orleski. Why doesn't she... Blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't even know. Yeah. I've never looked up any negative comments on anyone, but there yeah. must be some. Do you avoid them? How do you deal with them? I think that would be good for people to know, like, I think what that's like for you in a public position and how do you stay well on the inside when you know that, well, you're just not going to please everyone all the time. And it's tough because in general, I try to be a people pleaser. I have to say that So in general, my experiences with sports fans have been fantastic that I used to. So I always use CFL as an example, but when I would walk around a number of stadiums, fans would chant my name, which is embarrassing um, because despite my career choice, I don't actually like being the center of attention, right? I I believe that you should never be the center of attention for it. Your job is to put the athletes or the game at, um, at the forefront. So it would be embarrassing when, when people would chant aim and then you'd see players turn and look and be like, yep. Okay. Yes. That's, that's me. Hello. Um, but I also said the fact that I could do this job for as long as I have, and you'd have people that let's be honest, were quite intoxicated. A number of them <laughs> that they would, that the worst that they would do was chant my name. That's pretty, that's pretty great. I mean, there's no complaints about that. When I do see comments about appearance, I had someone tweet the other day, I was too pale. There was something else. I mean, more often than not, I look, those people are ones where an egg is a profile picture with AB46329. And like, really, this is what you want. You don't even follow me. Why are you? It's one of my issues with social media, because I just think it's, as I had said earlier about people saying things that you wouldn't say to someone in person. I just think it's allowed people to just be meaner than as a society, uh, the negativity. But so it's been in general, I'll say that it's been really positive. And I just try to, I don't know, ignore the rest. But sometimes there's no doubt I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me. Just because everybody does want to be, I think, liked. No one wants to hear negative, especially if it's not, I'm a big believer in constructive criticism, (laughs) just being nasty. I just don't understand. Yeah. So it's, it's challenging. I always say that the moment that I'm done with my career, I'm off social media other than, I don't know, to look at real estate. 
or fashion or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it seems to me in your interaction that we watch on TV and that we see you in that you are just loving where you are and, you know, all the work that it's been and even, you know, and I love how you own things. You own that, you know, you just said it yourself. I'm a workaholic. I have a hard time shutting it off. And when I need to, I sort of crash a little bit and then I get back to it and all that. And having said all of that, and even with dealing with people who might have a few negative things to say, are you happy to have landed where you have landed? And do you still, are you still striving for more or now that you've, you've sort of settled it with the jets and in this line where you're at right now, are you happy where you are? Can you, you know, that kind of thing. What is the, what is the future do you hope look like for you? I am very happy about where I've landed. I'm happy where I am, but I'm always about pushing forward more and about wanting to continue to strive to do more. It doesn't matter if I'm with True North on the Jets until I retire. I'm still going to, during that time, want to push to make sure that you know we continue to elevate our content and and that we continue to take steps so that we become viewed. I always want to be viewed as the best in something. So take the steps necessary in order to continue to do that, regardless of what the role is. But I'm also, I'm happy to be able to continue. I take a lot of pride in the role that I've had within the sports scene in Winnipeg. I put a lot of responsibility on myself too, to be hopefully a good role model so that young, young girls, just young people look and think, oh, you know, someone from Winnipeg did this, or I want to be, I want to be like Sarah or do what she did. That idea of representation is something that I've come to appreciate a lot more in later years than what I did early on in my career. Keeps you striving. Well, we're going to strive Absolutely. to get a little more out of you. Yeah. Our rapid fire questions. And uh, here's the first one. You are a storyteller. So you, I think you'll like this one. You are 100 years old. What is the story you most love to tell? Well, let's be honest. It's probably a story about my daughter, but um, I think, you know, the story of my husband and I meeting, dating when we were really young and then going our separate ways for a while and then finding our way back to each other. So I consider it to be kind of the perfect story for some rom-com movie at some point in time. <laughs> so that's probably the one that I love the most. Who or what do you think people see when they see you? And is there something different you wish they would see? I think that when people see me, they see someone that cares a lot about her family. Again, because I talk about my daughter incessantly, that it's, I think that people see um, a woman that works hard, that feels that it's important to have both a career as well as be a mother. And what do I wish that people would see? Sometimes I wish that people would just see the not the struggle to keep it all, but just the challenge of it. It goes back to some of my earlier comments about, you know, social media and about various things where I think that we don't always, and even the comments I made about athletes, you know, we don't always recognize that everyone is just, you know, that there's the commonalities that exist between all of us, regardless of what our careers are, or what our, what our lives are, that sometimes you just hanging on and I'm eating Twizzlers for breakfast. <laughs> hey, what is something people would be surprised to know about you? Probably that, probably that I eat Twizzlers for breakfast. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone would be surprised to know that I am not an outdoorsy person oh. at, uh, no, not at all. No, I you have enjoy to be outdoors it. quite a lot when you're yeah. on oh, the I, side of the field and 
Yeah. And so, I mean, that's fine, but spending willingly my time doors is not usually my cup of tea. I'm an air conditioned sort of, <laughs> sort of woman. I have a large plot of, so we live on an acreage and I have this massive garden that I inherited from the previous owners that is just, I don't have a, I just, I don't like bugs. I don't like, <laughs> like all of these sorts of things. So if I have one sort of um, what I would deem to be probably like a, a more of that high maintenance tendency, it's, it's no, I just want to be in air conditioning. I don't want to be, I don't know, outside in the mud. That's not my idea of a good time. What exhausts you? Oh, honestly, what exhausts me would be this idea of that old mentality of kind of keeping up with the Joneses and and again, which goes back to social media, I think a lot as well about trying to looking around at what everyone else you perceive, what so many other people have and try and measuring yourself, I think in some ways is to do, you know, do we have enough? Have I accomplished enough? Have I, and I can go down rabbit holes with that where it's not only is it not good for me, it is, it's exhausting. <laughs> On the other side, what energizes you? Oh, um, being, I mean, still being at sporting events energizes me and it doesn't matter whether it's something I'm covering. It doesn't matter whether it is being at my daughter's sporting events. You know, I've spoken to you about my love for coming and watching Bison's. I, like I just, there is an energy at a sporting event that is to me, you just, you can't compare it to anything else. It just gives me that, that rush of adrenaline and they get totally hooked onto it. And I'm just, I am all in. What was a moment of intense joy that you have experienced in your life? Intense joy. So I'll say that I feel as if it's a negative thing. If I, if I don't say that, you know, my daughter, uh, the birth of my child, which goes without saying. So I'm just, I'm going to preface everything with that. It goes without saying. <laughs> the birth of my child. Um, but beyond that, just sometimes to be honest, some of my, um, my work moments have just been where I've just, I've looked around and I, it's something that I wish. And if I had a piece of advice for people getting into history is to take that moment to really be in the moment and, and appreciate your surroundings. Cause it's something that I never did enough of. I haven't done enough to throw my career. It was always about just get the job done, do it as to the best of your ability, but not really looking around and going, I have traveled to so many great places. I have been in so many places that people, you know, would would give their right arm to be able to be in. I've stood on the ice at Madison Square Garden and I've done all of these, I've covered the Olympics and but not truly appreciating it, but just getting and stepping back for it. And so I've, I feel as if the joy that I've gotten from some of the events has been afterwards, even years later, looking back and going, wow, that was pretty amazing. I did that. That was pretty great. That was, and, but I wish that I had appreciated it more. So who are two or three people who have influenced you and how did they impact your life? Well, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier on about the job that my parents did in um, in raising us with the confidence that that they have. They were 
they certainly impacted my parenting style in addition to just the way that I approach things. Um, my mom is to this day is the hardest worker I've ever seen. She goes all in regardless of what she is doing. And it's always, you know, even now she'll be helping with something. I'll say, you know, I think this is enough for the day. No, no, no. We just need to finish it. So that certainly influenced me, but the way that they parented and how involved they were is something that very much influenced the way that I parent and my approach with my daughter. I always say to people, you know, it's the showing up that matters for it, because I can tell you, I can remember to this day, the sporting of the game that no one was able to make it to. And it was only one. And I still like to, you know, jokingly lord it over rather that that's fine. You didn't see the final game of my high school volleyball career. Yes, you made it to every other one. That was one that you didn't, and no, no deep scars left. That's fine. <laughs> but my, you know, my dad, I used to, so when I was going through um, high school and then university, I used to coach volleyball and my dad would come in, he would watch the team that I would coach and said, if you're watching, I don't know, grade nine boys volleyball, or you're watching grade seven club volleyball and your child is not playing, that to me is really impressive because sometimes it can be pretty painful to watch. <laughs> and so let's be honest. So so, but they, they just, they always showed up and that to me, so that's what I've always tried to do with my daughter is always show up, definitely impacted my life in a big way. And then you know, I've just, I've had, I've had great, as I mentioned, colleagues that were just always there and there, and there's so many and in different roles and in different capacities at different times in my life that, that were there. But one of the people that certainly um, influenced me. So Chris Cuthbert, who's with Sportsnet now, who I means spent years at TSN and CBC and, and everything was just such a, a great supporter of mine from the beginning. And really, um, yeah, just means the world to me to this day. But knowing that there was somebody there that even before I started working with him, he used to say to me, like, when are you going to come work with us? When are we going to get you? You know, I don't know, 25 year old me, I'm like, when am I going to get hired? <laughs> the moment I do, I'll be there, Chris. But he's just, he was always someone that um, I could run things by and talk to. And I appreciated his work ethic with it. But that's just a few. I, um, I've had so many in different, actually, you know what? No, I want to add one more if I can. Sure. But there were women that I worked with when I was at City TV just starting, and they were behind the scenes, they were editors. And they again took me under their wing, but they just, they were so supportive of me, pushed me in a big way that it was, they looked at me at the time, especially since they were huge sports fans. I'm like, okay, are you serious about this? Is this what you want to do? Are you, is this a flash in the pan sort of thing? How serious are you going to take this? And they were huge for me in respect. And I just, I've tried to find different support systems, different mentors in all different areas. I don't believe it has to be that they have to be the same gender as you. I don't believe they have to be in the same career woman as you to find different ones that will be, um, yeah, that you'll be able to take something from. 
I love it. So many people impacting your life. You have you are now doing the same thing with so many others. And well, you sh- you showed up to this conversation and you show up. We're so glad you still show up so we can see you and hear you get the stories from these people that we watch do amazing things in the sporting world. And we get to know them thanks to someone like you and um, people who listen to this will be inspired, I think, to put their heads down, work hard and go after what they want because that's the way to do it and not be afraid to find harmony in life. Even if it doesn't look like anybody else's, it can be yours. And I I feel like I've taken that amongst many other things from this conversation. Sarah Orleski, I think I will watch you differently now because I just, I I know you better. And I just think that's really cool. And you are a hero in our midst. You're a, you're a, you know, not just because you're a woman doing amazing things, but because you're a Manitoban and you, uh, you are one of us. And and we just thank you for all that you're doing and that you're still motivated to do more. We just really want to say, we appreciate you for being a part of our podcast. Well, I appreciate you much and and the opportunity to be able to tell my story. And, you know, there's so many people that have so many stories and hopefully someone maybe is able to take a little something from mine, as you said, to inspire them. But I am a big believer in that hard work pays off. And when we all we all fall down at some point, the important thing is to get back up. The most important thing is that you get back up. Well, Sarah, seems to me your hard work and preparation kept you from falling on so many occasions and truly has allowed you to soar in the career path you so adamantly chose. And now we get to watch as you do your job in front of us all while being a wife, a mom, and continuing to show up for it all. Pretty cool. Sarah Orleski, no question another hero in our midst. Hey, if you enjoyed this, tell your friends, share it with them, and come back. I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop. We'll talk to you again soon.